Hello and welcome to the world of sport from the eyes of a teenager host by Daniel Middlebrook and today I am so excited to talk to you about the NBA playoffs and talk about my first round predictions and whether I was hot or cold. Um, I'm going to fill out my NBA playoff bracket and talk about why the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL have been tanking in inverted commas for a while. Um, why I like women's cycling, why Caleb Ewan is the cleverest sprinter, how Alaphilippe is a genuine threat for yellow, and Adam Yates, over the first three days of this Tour de France, I'm hoping to release this tonight of recording, which is currently Tuesday the 1st of September. And just before we get into the episode, if you do like um, what you listen to, make sure to tell as many people as you can about the podcast, follow me on Twitter, you know, um, give me genuine feedback. Um, I love hearing about it um, and seeing what I can do better. And uh, I'll see you in just a second. You don't want to miss a thing. After a short break, I am back and I am booming. To talk to you about whether I was hot or cold on my first round predictions of the NBA playoffs. Now, we all know uh, times are a bit peculiar right now. And uh, it's kind of unprecedented what's gone on in the world and how things are going to be in the future. We don't know if there's going to be sports again soon. But what we do know is that the NBA playoffs, uh, the first round, have been going... And they've been brilliant. The Orlando Magic took the first game away from the Bucks. I mean, they lost in five, but they uh, um, I picked the Bucks to sweep, I think. Um, the Miami Heat did sweep the Pacers. I think I picked them to win it in six. And, uh, well, I'll talk about a few more in just a second. But it's been really exciting. Like, very, very, very good. Um, you know, it's really been unprecedented because... Everyone's had time off, and you get to see whether people have been um, training hard, who's kept on a good diet, you know, who's been practicing their shots. And it's clear to see that um, it took the Lakers a while to get the ball rolling. And they even lost in the first game, although Portland were awful because I didn't predict they'd fall off as much as they would because um, I really like Damian Lillard, but he was so tired from carrying Portland that um, he was shattered. There was no one else, not even CJ McCollum or Yusuf Nurkic could really come through and help. And uh, and so it's been quite a uh, crazy round. They've been shattered. But even so, it's been very interesting. Anthony Davis finally turned it on for the Lakers and the Lakers win round one of the NBA playoffs in style. They play really well. LeBron, maybe not his best scoring form, but he's turned into a great defender, great rebounder, great passer, which he always has been. But um, uh, Carmelo was great for Portland. You know, he didn't seem to feel the tired, even though, what, he's 37 now, 36, I can't remember. But as we speak, the game hasn't been decided. But round one, the Thunder versus OKC. I think I picked the Thunder to win in six or something. I might have been seven. Um, it's going to Game 7. OKC have been powerful. Uh, the Thunder have been out without Russell Westbrook for most of it. And then when they've had him back, he's been poor for the past well last game. We'll see how he plays in Game 7, though. Well, it could take... Um, uh, make me wrong. 
I'm perky, I'm still picking the Thunder to um, win that in just a second. Uh, it's gone to Game 7 between the Jazz and the Nuggets, which I don't think anyone really expected. It's been crazy. I picked the Jazz to win it in 6, I think, or the Jazz to win it in 5. I picked the Clippers to win in 5, I'm pretty sure, and they managed to win against the Dallas Mavericks in 6. Um Although it wouldn't, it would have been they won in five if uh, Luca hadn't taken a game away with them with a fantastic um, three ball. It was incredible. But then moving over to the East, um, the Raptors swept the Nets. I predicted that the Celtics swept the Seventy Sixers. I predict the Seventy Sixers to win in I think six again. Um, the Pacers swept. No, the Pacers got swept by the Heat. Can I just say, I watched um, Game 3 of Miami versus Pacers live, and they were fantastic. They were a really fun team to watch, because if you like the three ball, um, it's a lot of fun to watch them. They pick um, a lot of screens around the three. And uh, because of how they got swept, Nate McMillan of the Pacers as a head coach, well, old head coach, was um, fired, which is a shame, because I quite like Nate McMillan, but... um, Indy just weren't getting hands in people's faces, so Miami were taking threes uncontested, um, no hands in their face, and ultimately that comes down to coaching, you know, you've got to have a guy who can uh, teach your guys to be there when um, it matters most, you can't let Tyler Hero take a three by himself, Duncan Robertson, even Jimmy Butler, you know, you can't let these guys uh, take uncontested threes, but... The um, the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Orlando Magic after the Magic took game one from them. It seems like when you go against the big teams like Portland did for LA, they think, we can beat you, and then they'll take a game, and then you'll see who the better team is in the end. But now I'm going to do where I was hot or cold, and I'll start with LA versus Portland. I was drastically cold here. Um, I picked Portland to win it in seven, they lose in five. Wasn't pretty, they just look shattered, really off colour. Um, the Rockets versus OKC. I'm gonna call that I'm gonna call that um hot because uh, I predict them to win it in I think six and it's gone to seven, so it's close. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself the prediction of that being hot. The Utah Jazz versus the Nuggets, boiling hot, red hot, except we don't know if the Jazz beat the Nuggets, so I can't really call it yet. But I picked it to go to seven, you know, um, and it seems like I'll be right, or at least hopefully. And uh, Clippers versus Dallas, I'll give myself slightly colder. I thought the Clippers would be a bit more dominant, um, but it appears like playoff P didn't come for the first um, four games, uh, and now he's been turning it on. Kawhi Leonard's been great, Montrezl Howard was great, Lou Will was great, um, and uh, Christoph Porzingis was out a couple of games. Luca had an injury and played through it. He's fantastic. But uh, no, I, I predict the Clippers to be a bit more dominant. And I think they could genuinely have uh, a struggle against, um, I think, the Jazz ver- um, Jazz in the second round or the semifinals. Moving over to the East, uh, I picked Toronto to beat uh, the Raptors in four. The Toronto beat the Raptors in four. Uh, I'm giving myself a boiling hot on that one. It's fantastic. It's like the kettles are boiling. Uh, shots are pouring. It's fantastic. Um, Celtics versus 76ers. I thought the 76ers would give a bit more of a challenge, but without Ben Simmons and an awful head coach, Brett Brown. 
um, <laughs> it didn't quite pan out that way. But yeah, I did predict him to win. So I'll give myself uh, about medium temperature on that one. You know, not quite short weather, but uh, not bad. Um, then we move on to the heat versus the paces. I'll give myself, yeah, shorts weather again, not hot, not quite cold. It was, I was kind of right, but I predicted the paces would give a bit more of a challenge. I thought guys like Malcolm Brogdon would come through, but without Dante, um, DeMontes Sabonis on, uh, Bam Adebayo, it was pretty, pretty, pretty hard for them to, uh, to win. Milwaukee versus Orlando. I'm going to give myself, um slightly hot here, you know, um, Orlando gave them a bit of a run for their money over the first couple of games, but yeah, Milwaukee turned it on, but that wasn't quite my prediction, I predicted Milwaukee would be beyond dominant, and they weren't, you know, um, Chris Middleton's only turned it on, <clears throat> now, yeah, he wasn't really been there, Eric Bledsoe wasn't particularly fantastic, but Giannis has just been incredible, in fact, he just won DPOY, as, uh, Jimmy Butler actually just won, no, not Jimmy Butler, sorry, um, Brandon Ingram just won most uh, improved player, which is fantastic for him. Uh, yeah, well, that ends where it was hot and cold. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that segment. Segment. I'm definitely going to be bringing that back when the NFL season comes on um, by the end of the Tour de France. Um, yeah, I'll see you in just a second. Thank you very much. After a short break, I am back, and I am booming to fill out my NBA playoff um, bracket. So I deliberately didn't do this uh, at the start because I wanted to save it for a little bit later after we've seen the first round, but I'm going to fill out every single game, uh, well, every single series of the NBA playoffs and predict my um, NBA Finals champion and probably Finals MVP. Um... But I'm going to start in the West, and I'm going to start with the Western Conference semi-finals. I'm picking OKC to beat the Thunder in round one to put that game, uh, put that series to bed, and then we're going to go. They're going to go up against um, the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are going to win that series versus OKC in six because I think OKC is strong enough to take a couple games from. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis, because they always play off-colour for a couple of games. But the the Lakers have looked dominant enough that I can I can comfortably pick them. Um, and then against... Uh, then moving down to the Clippers versus, I think, the Utah Jazz uh, to beat Dallas in Game 7. Uh, I'm going to pick the Clippers to sweep the Jazz. I just think um, the Clippers have more going for them, really. That's all I'll say, Montrose Harrell. Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams off the bench, Patrick Beverly to put um, the clamps on Donovan Mitchell. You know, uh, they're going to be absolutely fantastic. And that's only like a couple of the names. I'm not, I'm not even mentioning Paul George. That's how bad he's played in the bubble. But he can turn it on. He can turn it on. Um, so I'm picking the Clippers to win that in four, which means that in the Western Conference Finals, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm picking the Clippers to win that series in five. Very bold prediction. I know that that's very bold to win in five, just five games versus LeBron James, but I love this Clippers team. I really do. Kawhi, in my opinion, is one of the best players in the league. He's the top three. Um, because I'm a bit of an outsider, I think LeBron's just a 
tiny bit overrated. He's obviously one of the best players in the league, but he's just very, very, very slightly overrated. Um, and I think Anthony Davis isn't that good at the moment. Whether he can be, who knows? Uh, it just depends whether Vogel plays him for enough minutes um, because he's not the kind of guy that can play the 40 minutes LeBron can or Kawhi can um, on his day. So, yeah, I'm picking the Clippers to win that series in five. I just think they're the far more dominant team. You know, a, a shattered Portland Trailblazers team take a game from the Lakers when a rejuvenated um, Clippers team could well take the series from um, LA. But who knows? It's going to be very, very tight, which means that in the NBA Finals for the West, I have the LA Clippers. And now we move on to the East. I'm picking the Milwaukee Bucks to beat the um, the Heat in seven. I can't see um, Jimmy Butler carrying the Heat for another game. Uh, well, another f- another few games for a whole series. I would I'd be a bit a bit weary. Um, yeah, it's going to be close. I'm picking Milwaukee to win in six. I reckon um, six or seven. Uh, yeah, just because of Giannis, Chris Middleton, Bledsoe, fantastic players. And even though I really like this Heat team, I just don't think... Because what all you need is for one of your guys to have a bad three-point shooting day and your, your team's done. I know that's quite unlikely, but who knows? They, would, they did win by, what, 11, though? Um, so, prove me wrong, Miami. I know they're not listening to this, but it would be cool if they were. Um, Boston versus Toronto in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I'm taking Boston to sweep. Um... Toronto looked really bad versus Boston, and in a weird kind of um, season, I think Boston could be a genuine outsider for the finals, whether they will, who knows, but they could well be. So yeah, I'm taking Boston to sweep. Uh, There's been a lot of sweeps um, in the East, and I really like that. Which moves us on to the conference finals, Milwaukee versus Boston. I'm going to take... I'm going to take Milwaukee to win in seven. It's going to be really, really tough series. You know, Kemba's back on his game. Uh, they've got Jalen Brown. They're just they're a really, really fantastic team. And uh, I think that Milwaukee are just a little bit better. Because, to be honest, he's the best defensive player in the league, as per his DPOY. Um, he's one of the best scorers in the league. He's so dynamic. Uh, yeah, I reckon Milwaukee could win that and go on to... The NBA Finals, the LA Clippers versus the Milwaukee Bucks. This is going to be such an exciting um, series if it comes down to it. Um, I'm taking the Clippers to sweep the Milwaukee Bucks. Because by the time that um, it gets to the NBA Finals, based on my predictions, Milwaukee will be shattered... Taking um, so many series to six and seven is going to be really hard. Um, whereas the Clippers, I think, will have it quite easy. And personally, LA could have more training days because of that. You know, they're going to be on for more on colour. Um, I'm taking the Clippers, yeah, to sweep. Um, I really love in this Clippers team. I'm very, very high on them. I don't know. I know that Dallas took games away from the Clippers, but as soon as Paul George gets back into form. There's no chance that this Clippers team doesn't win a ring. They're that good. 
They're fantastic. They are absolutely um, fantastic. Well, that in- that concludes me filling out my NBA playoff bracket. I uh, really hope you like it. And just before I go, I'm going to give Kawhi Leonard um, finals MVP. I'm going to have him averaging 26 a game uh, points, uh, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, a couple steals and a block. That's That's my prediction. If I get that spot on, that would be fantastic. I know I won't, but, well, that concludes it. I'll see you in just a second. After a short break, I am back, and I am booming to talk to you about the Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL. Jacksonville recently cut ties with Leonard Fournette, the running back, and uh, traded away Yannick Ngakwe for a second-round pick uh, to the Vikings and a conditional, I think it's a conditional fifth, but it could go higher if it um, if he makes the Pro Bowl, which is a pretty good deal, to be fair, because that's maybe likely. Uh, personally, I think that Minnesota's very, very slightly overpaid. I don't think he's worth as high of a second-round pick, but he's a good player. Uh, whether he'll fit in with Everson Griffin... And co, who knows? But Jacksonville really don't look good. Do, I don't think Doug Marone's that good a coach. They've been a bad organization. Like um, uh, they had the most complaints to the NFLPA last year about um, well their organization and just random fines, just stupid um stuff really. Uh, and um, I think they've been tanking like secretly. They paid Blake Bortles money um, when he obviously didn't deserve it. <laughs> um, what's it called? They traded Jalen Ramsey for picks and a lot of them. Um, AJ Bo- they let AJ Boye walk, uh, letting Leonard Fournette go. It's always a bit complicated. They tried to trade Leonard Fournette for picks. No one would even take a sixth or seventh for him. Um, he's not that really a locker room guy. I think they could be doing a bit of a Miami Dolphins, and the way Dolphins tank for Tua, I think Jacksonville are tanking for Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, um, the Clemson quarterback. I think he's going into his, what, his junior year now, and then he can declare for the draft straight away, which obviously he will. I think he's one of the few players that, um, if NFL players really could um, go straight to the NFL from uh, high school, he probably would have done. Teams love the kid, and I don't blame him. He's a really good guy. Um, incredible arm, fairly mobile, Oh, just a guaranteed winner. He's going to do great at Jacksonville if that's where he ends up. Um, he's guaranteed to go number one to pretty much any team, unless Cincinnati uh, tank, and unless Joe Burrow does a uh, Josh Rosen, but who knows. Jacksonville just don't seem like a good organization. I mean, apparently taxes are low there, which is why some players might favor them in free agency, perhaps. But um, um, I don't know. I'm not from America, so I don't really know anything about tax in that area or really England or anything. But um, yeah, Jacksonville are a bit peculiar. They're they're kind of I don't know how to say it. They they just they just strike me as quite a weird team. Like, um, I don't quite know what to think of them, really. Um, they've just never... They've never made it work since their AFC Championship run. How they made it to the Championship, I don't know. They sampled a great pass rush. 
everything seemed to be going well for them. They had good draft picks. And then suddenly, they've thrown it all away over the past three years, which is funnily enough when Trevor Lawrence has been blowing it up. Could they be tanking for Trevor? Personally, I'd, I'd, if, if that was me, I'd tank for him all day. He's a fantastic player. Um, and he's well worth the tank because uh, you can assemble a great team around him when his rookie contract is low. A little bit like what the Browns have done um, with Baker Mayfield, except we all saw how that, how that worked. You just want some good guys, not um, guys who want the ball constantly. Well, they haven't got really too much to say, really. They might be tanked for Tua. Um, Trevor, like the Dolphins, tanked for Tua. Uh, and I'll see you in just a second to talk about my favourite part of the year, every year, the Tour de France. I'll see you in just After a short break, I am back and I am booming. Talk to you about my favourite time of the year. The Tour de France, I just, I love cycling to bits. It's probably my favourite thing in the world, really. Um, and it's always my favourite time of the year. And it's quite weird that it's happening now in an August and September tour. But um, I'm not complaining. We get the Giro and Vuelta pretty much straight afterwards. So it's a really compact and exciting cycling season. But the first three stages of the Tour de France have been done and they have been dusted, which, of course, includes the course, which is normally done on the last uh, day of the Tour de France. Um, but I'm going to actually, before I get into anything else, women's cycling is so exciting. In fact, oftentimes it's more exciting than the men's because everybody can climb and everybody can sprint and everyone can time trial and everyone works together. It's, it's just incredible. The racing is so unpredictable. Everybody's so talented. Um, they can all do it all, pretty much. It's it's incredible how well-executed women's cycling is. And uh, it doesn't get enough attention at all. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And it sucks that um, uh, it doesn't get mainstream. And in fact, I, I think um, La Course needs to be made into like a, either a week-long or perhaps even a three-week-long race. Because... Um, just 96 kilometres of that is disgraceful for how good the racing is. Um, the racing was nearly as good as the men's on that day um, on stage. Actually, it's probably better on stage one. It was far more exciting, um, far faster. Um, it's just disgraceful that women only get uh, 96 kilometres to show how good they are. And that sucks because they're going at the same speed as the men. They're just as powerful, just as good. And uh, it's it's unfair that um, they don't make as much money. They don't stand a chance. It's yeah, it's beyond unfair. But putting that aside, the course um, twenty twenty was won by Lizzie Dyden, who's my favourite um, women's cyclist, uh, in a fantastic sprint versus Mariana Voss, um, and another rider like Annemiek van Vluten. It was exciting. Um, I don't know too much about women's cycling, so obviously it's not mainstream that I, I can watch every race but um I know that Annemiek van Vluten's fantastic Lizzie Dijkman obviously and that's what makes me so excited about women's cycling they can race up the climbs and then straight away they've got um the sprint sorted out it was absolutely fantastic and Lizzie Dijkman deserved the win even though she was feeling beaten up and bruised at the start of the stage which is um just a fantastic way to do it uh and then 
Stage 1 later in that day was won by Alexander Kristoff for the men, which was just fantastic. He timed his sprint perfectly, taking the win from Case Ball at the line. Um, it was just fantastic how he managed to pull that off and wear the yellow jersey for the first time in his career. He won um, uh, the stage going into Paris on the Champs-Élysées a couple of years ago. Absolutely fantastic rider, got such class, such an, um, a good guy. And uh, he's deserved a win like that for a while. And the fact that he gets to wear yellow is an added bonus. It was a fantastic, fantastic sprint. Um, moving on to stage two of the Tour de France. Now, I didn't get to watch this stage live like I got to watch stage three live. But stage two was incredible. All of it was boiling down to the Caldez, which is normally raced on Paris-Nice. It's normally one of the biggest climbs on Paris-Nice. But... Um, Today it was on the Tour de France, well not today, that day it was on the Tour de France and it was exciting. Alaphilippe attacks um, towards the top of uh, the uncategorised final climb uh, which gave bonus seconds. He takes um, the lead on that. Uh, was it Mark Hirschi goes with him straight away and then later Adam Yates has an explosive attack. Uh, I'll talk about Adam Yates in a minute. And he latches on and stays, it was fantastic, and they somehow managed to build up over a minute's advantage to the peloton, um, before the end, where they managed to just scrape ahead, where Alaphilippe took the stage in incredible fashion, from Mark Hirschi and Adam Yates, Adam Yates was never going to win the sprint, um, and Alaphilippe is just too too fast, and it just seems weird, every time the Tour de France comes around, Alaphilippe just turns into... A great, great, great cyclist again. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, I still think he's the best cyclist in the world. And he, as he showed at races like Milan San Remo, even if he was beaten by Wout van Aert. Um, he's fantastic. And now he's in yellow. And Alaphilippe is a genuine threat for the yellow jersey. Full on, I think he could potentially take this all the way to Paris, depending on how aggressive he is. Uh, if he races a little bit more conservatively, but he's not that kind of guy, he could take this all the way because he's so fast, he can climb, he's the best descender. Maybe not great in the mountains, but he's good enough. He's a great time trialist, like we saw, was it stage 13, I want to say, of um, last year going into uh, Poe, um, where he won that time trial, 27k it was, I think. He's a fantastic rider. And someone that riders like Egan Bernal need to take seriously because we saw it last year when he nearly, nearly won the Tour de France, nearly even podiumed. Um, Alaphilippe is a genuine threat. And now I'll move on to stage three. I wish I had commentary for all of these, but um, I promise you that will be coming on some of the mountain stages. Um, Caleb Ewan rides like the cleverest sprinter in the world. He is so good um, because all the other riders seem to forget that it was a block headwind on the finish. Um, Caleb Ewan goes maybe a little bit late and uh, takes it all the way to the line and wins it by photo finish because he didn't just go out in the front. Peter Sagan had an awful sprint. It was so slow. Caleb Ewan just goes round um, in the slipstream, acts like there was no headwind. He looks so much faster and he manages to take the stage at the line. It was just incredible how he does it. And uh, when he won, I think it was stage 16 of last year's. Um, I think he must have been. Um, he said in an interview that uh, he ran through every single scenario in his head of what could happen. And he only won a couple. 
Uh, but he executed that exact scenario and managed to win. And that's what he does every single sprint. Every single sprint, he thinks through every possible opportunity and uh, what could go down. And he manages to get it done. And that is genius. He's just so clever, knowing the headwinds, the wind directions, and where he has to be and when. He, he um, floats the wheels perfectly. And it's crazy that Lotto Sadal can lose Philippe Joubert and John Dagenkolb and can still win stages. That is what a talented rider can do um, for your team. And uh, now, <clears throat> to finish off the episode, I want to talk about Adam Yates. Four years ago, Adam Yates burst onto the scene by um, coming fourth at the Tour de France in, um, in 2016 and winning the white jersey. He was so fantastic in that race. In fact, uh, if the race, um, what are they called, race officials, organisers, hadn't intervened because of a ridiculous fans um, up, was it Mont Ventoux, I want to say, where Chris Roon went up the mountain, um, Adam Yates would have won that Tour de France. He, um, he would have taken yellow, and that's kind of taken from him, but it was fair. He understood that. You know, it wouldn't have felt right taking it from a guy who was pushed off his bike effectively. But um, he could have won that Tour de France, and he had the talent. And then ever since then, he's always been considered, oh, he's a GC rider. He's had pressure from his team, uh, and he hasn't delivered. And then this year, they said, right, we give up. You're taking stages. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll accept that. I'm going for stages. It's like a weight's just been lifted off of his shoulders, you know, Um he was absolutely fantastic. He looked so explosive. He got up to them in seconds when the rest of the peloton couldn't. And Adam Yates could be a genuine GC threat. He's only a couple of seconds off Alaphilippe now. And um, he's definitely got the talent to be able to ride with the best of them. And now that he's got no pressure from the team, you know, he knows that if he does fail, it doesn't matter because he's just chasing stages. But if it doesn't, he knows that he is a good GC rider. He's a genuine threat for some of these other guys, and you can't just mark him because um, he's not there to race GC, but you can't just ignore him because um, of what flying form he's in. It's just absolutely fantastic um, to see a rider, a young, well, he's only about 28, but which is fairly young in cycling, to be fair, um, seeing him find his feet and find his confidence again. And um, as one of my favourite cyclists, I'm really glad for that. I'm pretty sure he's moving to Ineos Grenadier next year. They've um, changed their name. They're now sponsored by Jeep, I think. And um, I'll be looking for him to put in some good performances for them. I think maybe Mitchelton Scott would be the best team. But there's no hard feelings. You know, Matt White's going to do the best for him. And wow, um, I've gone over my limits. So thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in just a second with my goodbye message. Thank you. That was The World of Sport from the Eyes of a Teenager, hosted by Daniel Middlebrook. Thank you so much for listening, if you stuck around uh, till the end. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please do. Let me know how uh, the podcast's doing, what you think of it. Um, I love hearing your opinions. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, if you've got this far, tell five people who don't know about the podcast uh, about it to spread the love and spread the joy. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful day. I'll see you soon.